Pastor David B. Zellmer will deliver this morning's sermon. And peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Well, it is good to be back with you. I'm sorry that uh, I got sick last week and I missed the brunch. As you can tell by looking at me, I rarely miss a meal. So, sorry about that. So I've been in Canaan. Uh, I've been in both locations that claim it. Uh, both of them would be happy to show you that they have the original jars that uh, Jesus made the water into wine in. And of course, neither would be true. So in, you need to know a little bit about Jewish weddings if you're gonna understand what's happening in this text. And I actually learned something this week uh, from a friend of mine, Bar Brian Stoffergan, who has a lovely webpage that uh, provides some tidbits, and I got a good one from him. Weddings normally lasted about seven days. That was pretty typical. Three days would have been a short wedding, maybe kind of a shotgun wedding, so to speak. And what would normally happen is the bridegroom's uh, party would arrive the night before, the bride's party would arrive the night before, there would be some conversation and whatnot between those two different groups. And in the morning of the first day of the wedding, uh, the, the groom would send his attendants to the bride's house and they would carry her on a chair to the location of where she's gonna take up residence as the new wife. And then there would be a ceremony quite regularly out in the street. Uh, there would be a blessing from the Rebbe, and then the party would begin. And it was a party. Now, the part that I learned this week is the embarrassment of what happens is even more profound than I thought it was. I mean, it's bad to run out of the stuff, right? I've been to enough kitchens and to enough parties that you don't want to run out of food and you don't want to run out of beverage when you're having a party, right? It's, it's tough stuff. I mean, who wants to come to a Christmas dinner and halfway through the meal go, sorry, we're out of food. That's not gonna work. But in a shame-based culture, which the first century was in the Jewish community, to not be able to provide hospitality for your friends and family was shameful. But this is the really part, the really hard part. And this is what I learned. Nobody really had enough money to pay for all that food and wine in the first century. So the way it worked is you invited your friends to come to this wedding and they were supposed to bring wine to help you out. So what does this mean? How could you run out of wine? Either you don't have enough friends or your friends don't like you or your friends drink too much. Now, none of those are good, right? So now we have this lovely dialogue between a mother and a son. So one of the things I did this week in preparation for this sermon is I, I went and read any number of my favorite theologians. I read their, their work on this particular text and every one of them had these very scholarly, learned conversations about this dialogue between a mother and a son. And not one of them was brave enough to go with the simple reading. And the simple reading in my world, being a son, is that mom wants you to do something that you don't want to do. 
and Jesus is irritated with his mother. As Pastor Jeff said, this is not a good way to talk to your mom. You don't say woman, even though that was a pretty standard, but it was not the, the word that you would use with your mom. What is this between you and me? Now, what I love about this is there's no argument on her part, and she simply bypasses her son and gets her way, right? She says to the servants, do whatever he says. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had that conversation with my mother when she was alive. And I've watched my sons behave in exactly the same manner when my wife, their mother, speaks to them. She can get them to do things that would be an automatic fight if I had said the words. But here is this mother saying, no, these people need some help, and we're going to do something about it. And then this amazing gift. The jar, the water was there for rites of purification, which was really important in the first century. And there would have been water aplenty for them to be able to wash their hands as they entered into the wedding feast to the wedding banquet. So it's been all used up. So Jesus says to the servants, go and fill the, the jars with water. And so we have somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of water. And then he tells the servants to draw it out and take it to the chief steward. And guess what? We have not only wine, but wonderful wine. So I did the math. We'll split the difference. We'll go with 150. That's about 600 bottles of wine. What does this tell you? First of all, that you should invite Jesus to your wedding. <laughs> because now we have more wine than we know what to do with. That's more wine than you can, I don't care how many people are going to be there that week. It is an abundance of wine. And this is the first of signs that Jesus does. And it will be a theme that you find all the way through the Gospel of John, that Jesus has come so that we might have life and have it abundantly. And the Greek word for abundantly is a wine, is a word that comes from pouring wine. The word abundance means to take a flagon and to pour wine into a chalice for your guests and to keep pouring until not only does the wine fill the chalice, but that it overruns and that it in fact runs off onto the floor. And you do that so that there might not be any, any empty spots in the chalice. That what you give to your guest, your friend, your family member, might be filled to overflowing. And certainly that is what Jesus has done for this young wedding couple. He has given them a gift of abundance. Now, it had to be tempting when they found out how good the wine was to send everyone home, right? We'll just keep it for ourselves. We now have a great wine cellar. No, the gift was given so that it might be shared. And I think that's the point of an abundant life. What does it mean to be blessed with forgiveness of sins, of new life in Jesus Christ, to be immersed in our baptism? What does it mean to be sent into the world, gifted in such a way?
Now, if I was a certain kind of preacher, I would tell you that it means that if you follow Jesus Christ, you will soon have all the best of cars, the best of homes, the best of jobs, the best of spouses, that life will be wonderful. And it will be filled with all the toys that you could ever imagine. Some of my very first teachers when I was a young pastor were just an incredible gift. And the ones that still resonate in my head, I think most profoundly, were seven men in Warsaw, Poland. In 1987, I was invited by the American Lutheran Church to be a part of a group that traveled behind the Iron Curtain, and we spent five days in Poland. And on our first day, we arrived in Warsaw at the same time as the Pope, and I was surprised that they gave me a parade, and they didn't give one to their son who had returned from Rome. You should have laughed at that, by the way. Do I need like a sign or something? Laugh now. And we arrived at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. And its claim to fame were two. One, wonderful, because Chopin used to be their church organist there, and his sister used to sing solos. But it was also the place where World War II started. See, the church was round, and it had a copper roof, and it had tarnished like copper's supposed to, and it was green. And the Stuka dive bombers could see that in the middle of Warsaw, Poland, and it was their aiming spot. And World War II began with the destruction of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. Before the war, there were 2.5 million Lutherans in Poland. At the end of the war, there were 300,000. There was more than 1,000 pastors before the war, and there was a handful at the end. Hitler had signed an edict that the culture of Poland would be removed from the face of the earth. And their, Lutherans actually had their own paragraph. And so to be a pastor in Warsaw, Poland, or in Poland, was a death sentence. Most of the pastors were round up soon after the invasion had concluded. And they were just simply shot on the site. But here was this handful of men and a smaller handful of council presidents. And they talked about what it was like to live through those five years of never knowing if death was knocking at the door, of seeing their communities just devastated by this edict. But they talked not about the fear, but about how they had continued to be a faith community, how they had managed to provide baptisms, babies being left on the back of the doorstep, baptized during the night, confirmation instruction being sent out through the community. And once or twice a year, the whole community would meet in the forest, and there would be these silent, quiet worship services where Holy Communion would be shared. They talked about how the gifts of life had been shared throughout the community, how council presidents, when you became the council president, took on the role of making sure the pastor and the pastor's family was kept safe. Because if they were found, everyone in the household was murdered. They did not focus on all the things that had tried to destroy them, but they talked about the abundance that had poured through them, about being sustained and loved and cared for 
I remember sitting in the room with them with tears in my eyes, starting to understand what it means to have an abundant life. That the gifts that are given to us are given so that they might be shared with the world around us. And Lord knows right now that that would be true. I don't know about your world, but mine feels like the, the earth is moving, that the ground is not safe to stand on, and that all the things that I thought were true, now somehow they seem to be up for grabs, all except for the promise that is Jesus Christ, that in the waters of our baptism we are named and claimed and set out into the world. So I want you to hear this on this morning. First and foremost, that I believe that each one of you has been blessed and named, but you also have been sent, that you are the people of God, and that you go and called to share the gifts of abundance. Amen.